Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers who know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I'd rather be playing Hi-Fi Rush, developed by Tango Gameworks, best known for the Evil Within series. I'm Jason, and I'm a Virgo, the astrological dump stat. I'm Jackson, and you can see me in episode 6 of The Last of Us on HBO. I'm the clicker. In this episode, we're talking about Forspoken, the brand new game from Final Fantasy XV alums, Luminous Productions. This is a hotly anticipated game that has been on PlayStation fans' radar since the PS5 itself was announced. But has it lived up to the hype? We're digging into all things Forspoken, and even taking some time to discuss the new generation of consoles along the way. And now, let's get into it. Instead of the theme song on this one, you should do the Fortnite default dance. I just feel like uh, we should just use the Fortnite default dance in everything, because what are they going to do about it? They stole it first. (laughs) I mean, I guess the audio was probably not (laughs) fair play, just because they stole the dance. This is Totally Biased Media, and we're on Team Donald Faison. Yeah. I'm sure that the, the music to the default dance is probably just like some you know license free song that they just made some minor change to or something anyways so who knows forspoken this is a game that i have been really excited about for a very very long time like it was shown off in the ps5 reveal press conference thing and at the time i think we were calling it project athia might not even had that name yet it might have just literally been like showing off what the PS5 can do and it's not even tied to a game. Because I just remember seeing this woman running through these big open planes and jumping around all fancifully. And I was really into the idea and I felt like it was really showing off what the new consoles could do. But then I just kind of forgot about it for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I remember seeing like the initial trailers or I guess the PS5 trailers, not the Forspoken ones. And seeing it and thinking that this is the first game that's going to come out that truly takes advantage of, like, the PlayStation 5's hardware, it's going to blow us away. Uh, But then that game was instead Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, And I don't really (laughs) think there's been too many games that have pushed the label since then. I mean, there have been really good PlayStation games. I mean, God of War Ragnarok you know god of war ragnarok probably would have worked on the ps4 actually i know it would because it was on the ps4 wasn't it (laughs) yeah jackson what was the first game of this console generation that you thought was like really next level definitely um returnal yeah i'm kind of in the same boat that was a very very good showcase of what the ps5 can do because it's not even that like i thought the game was that exceptional as much as like it was gorgeous and it moved so quick and always held on to its aesthetic even in the chaos that was that was the first time where i really felt like there was so much going on in the game and it was all so high fidelity that it just wouldn't have been possible with the previous consoles again i'm not a developer so like i don't know that for a fact but it sure seemed like it my ps4 sounded like a jet engine playing games that were like half that pace the forespoken like initial trailers too um they showed off like a lot of the fluid simulation kind of stuff like they showed explosions of water and like ice coming up from the ground and stuff like that i don't think ice is even in the game but there was a lot of really cool stuff shown off with the forespoken like initial trailers yeah so that's sort of the first thing i wanted to talk about with forespoken in general is i feel like 
this game is a lot of empty promises in a lot of ways because I feel like what we saw then and what we ended up with was not reflective of what we saw then. I feel like this was a game that had incredible ambitions and probably had a budget to match at one time. And then for any number of reasons, the pandemic or something internal that just wasn't going as well as expected, I think what we got was pretty watered down. I don't think it was nearly as dynamic or as expansive as what they were sort of promising for the game. That being said, I still think what we got was pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. I think that... You know, I saw a lot of negative press about the game before it came out, and that really colored my opinions to begin with. And the beginning of the game, uh, I might even say like the first four or five chapters out of 12, so roughly half the game, really confirmed a lot of the things that I didn't like about it and that people were complaining about from, you know, the other reviews that I saw, <laughs> but... I think it kind of picks up after that. And I think part of that is just like how many different abilities you have. It's kind of like a really big issue that a lot of games like this run into where the combat is at its most interesting when you're like switching between your different types of magic and fighting different types of enemies with different moves because you want to hit their weaknesses. I, you know, I'll get more into that later. I was going to say, I kind of wish there were more enemies that, benefited from certain kinds of magic i i don't really feel like enough is necessarily done but for the first really long time you only have one type of magic it's earth magic and (laughs) you can sometimes see when you're fighting enemies actually you do see a lot when you're fighting certain types of enemies that they're resistant to your type of magic and you just can't do anything about it and you have to fight those enemies (laughs) because they're part of the story i really don't know what they were thinking with that (laughs) It's really annoying because there are so many enemies in the beginning that are resistant to earth magic. And like every time that I'll use one of the like support spells, they just nothing happens. Like the binding one, there are so many enemies I've seen that are just resistant to that. I guess before we get too far into the actual specifics of the magic, I guess we should back up just a little bit and talk sort of about what Forspoken is. So this is sort of a stranger in a strange land type of story. You play as Frey, a young woman who lives in New York City who is pretty down on her luck. She is uh, really struggling with the legal system and financially, and she's having to do some questionable things to get by. And when she is really at rock bottom, waiting it out in the city, not sure what to do with herself anymore, when she sees this otherworldly-looking bracelet cufflink vembrace thing (laughs) and upon further inspection that bracelet sort of binds itself to her teleports her to another world turns out is british and then the two of them uh can do magic powers together (laughs) so frey finds herself in this world called athia where there is an evil corruption magic of sorts that is sweeping the lands, and it is up to her to use these newfound powers to sort of figure out what in the world is going on and how to get back home. Yeah, and then the whole story, you know, Frey is... She doesn't really want to do anything, and the cuff is, like, pushing her to help people. 
classic buddy comedy dynamic. Unfortunately, everyone around Frey is suffering horribly because of what's going on in the world, and they can't interact with the cuff at all because they can't hear it. <laughs> uh, so all the normal people of the world get when they're like begging Frey for help because Frey has magical powers and is like the only person other than the bad guys that has magical powers. Um, she is very rude to them 100% of the time until like chapter 10. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, she has a turnaround right before the end of the game. And I don't think that's a spoiler because, come on, what are you expecting? I really hope the game ends with like, there's like a final boss that's about to just destroy the land and Frey's just like, all right, y'all have fun with that. The whole story, Frey is really rude to everyone around her and acts like it's their fault that she's in this terrible situation. And even when like people are dying around her, she still finds ways to just make it all about like how she needs to get back home because this is terrible. <laughs> they spend a really long time making sure that you don't like Frey. Um, and then they, I don't really feel like they do an adequate job picking that up at the end. And that's just how you make a good game. I just feel like the game's biggest problems are one, what what you were talking about earlier, Jason, where you just don't you don't get enough of your toolkit until a little bit too far in the game. And the other thing is just the overall tone is just so weird. Because this is a world where everybody's sort of at their breaking point. I mean, everything is very downtrodden. They are they are literally staring an apocalypse in the face. And, like, if that was just the vibe, that would be one thing. But it's that, and then Frey and Cuff having this relationship that just does not fit that at all. Like, they're making bad jokes, and, like, Cuff is doing weird color commentary on top of all of your fights. It's just, like, I don't know. It feels like it wanted to have this sense of humor of, like, an action movie. Yeah. But it's in a very upsetting atmosphere that does not fit an action movie kind of the way i think of it is the world that they're in is mad max but the characters at least Frey and cuff are more trying to do rush hour that's that's an interesting way to look at it yeah i, I could see that at least in the way that they interact with each other <laughs> yeah it's like this antagonizing buddy cop situation that's just very i don't know it never flows and, like, I just don't think they ever did a good job with Cuff and Frey's relationship in the first place, even for that to be front and center, because there's, like, no progression. I mean, they're making the same type of jokes with each other from, like, minute two all the way up until the last chapters of the game. And there's just no... There's never a change. And it's also just very present. Like, you can't go a minute without Cuff commenting on something. Like, it is... It is absurd how much they feel the need to just constantly be talking in this game. Which, for me personally, which we talked about on our last episode about when we, what we look for in games. For me, if the gameplay is good enough, I can ignore bad story. And I think this game largely fits that bill. Except that the story isn't just bad and predictable. It's sort of self-aggrandizing in a way that I just can't get into. Like, this is a story that is very flat, but makes you engage with it constantly. Yeah. 
Look, I know that I brought us here, but maybe we should spend a little bit more time talking about the gameplay before we kind of get into the story. Because I feel like the story is kind of the thing that you hear about from just about everyone talking about this. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that Forspoken definitely has some positives. In particular, I think getting around, especially like once you get a lot of your abilities, is pretty fun. <laughs> The tone of the world doesn't fit your powers and your exploration, but I still think just running around fighting bad guys, you know, doing cool magic, I still think that part of the game up game holds up really well, especially as you get further in and you get more traversal abilities. Because I think that it has a really cool idea about how magic can work in a game, because you essentially have three spells equipped at any given time. Or actually, I should take a step further back. You have an element equipped at any given time you start off with earth and that expands out to like fire and water and stuff and that element has three different spells you have equipped within it it has just a regular old attack if you press the trigger you're gonna throw something or shoot something or swing something like a weapon and if you hold the attack trigger it'll be some kind of charged attack that's a version of that you know you're if you're using a sword it might turn into a spear or if you're using like a gun thing you can charge it up to be like a shotgun blast almost like there are there is a active attack that changes that in some way and then you have your special magic that can do loads of stuff that can be passive abilities that can be uh just straight up attacks it can be planting a mine or creating an aoe attack that does damage over time and it can do all sorts of wild stuff. There's one really good one for the fire attack, which is pretty unique in my opinion, at least that it makes a giant like circle of fire around you. And when you're inside of that circle, your attacks do more to enemies. Just about everything about you is powered up. And if the enemies touch the walls, then they take damage. And I think that was my favorite like special ability, I guess in the game, because there were so many times where it was useful and it's it's really cool looking. There's a lot of thought put into the magic and how it looks and how it functions and just the fact that like throughout the game, Frey doesn't have any weapons or anything on her. You have like swords and <laughs> I guess guns kind of and stuff like that and shields even, but it's all based on her magic and like using it in creative ways it's just it's a very cool effect i i kind of wish that we could see more games where they would be more creative with magic because it's not just like in skyrim like you can get a bound sword and then it just functions like a normal sword when you get a sword in forespoken like it's part of one of your spells and then that sword will turn into something else when you charge it up to use it like jordan mentioned like turning it into a spear or just making like a big aoe attack it's really cool looking and just super, super creative. I I love it, honestly. I have one thing that I am incredibly positive about. It's the way the magic works and looks in this game. And not only are there a ton of options at your disposal, you can also use them incredibly frequently. So that's one thing that I think a lot of games that do a lot of cool stuff with magic kind of fail at is they give you cool powers, but then they also put major restrictions on how you use them. For Spoken, you know, all of your active attacks can be used as much as you want. 
your you know your heavy AOE attacks charge up really quickly just by dueling damage and staying in combat. And then all of your secondary spells, they're on cooldowns, but generally speaking, they're on pretty short cooldowns, and they all are on separate ones. So hypothetically, you could just go through and cast like 10 different special spells in a row, and by the time you're done with all of them, the first one's cooldown be done again, so you can start over. And like you can do some really cool stuff to, to set them up together, too. Like uh, One of my favorites is a turret that um, you can place with your earth abilities, and basically you just drop it down, and then it shoots a barrage of bullets at, at nearby enemies. And then you can have that out, and then you can swap to something like your water ability, one that creates a giant bubble that holds them in place. So you can have that and your turret firing at them, and then you can swap to fire so that you can be like throwing spears at them while they're also in place. So they're just getting hit from three different elements and different attacks just like constantly. And you can set up some really, really cool stuff like that. And the game's very forgiving of that stuff too. There are very few enemies... A few especially big ones are, are an exception, but most enemies, you can pretty much hit them with anything. You know, there are resistances and stuff to certain magic, but by and large, you can kind of handle every situation however you want. Yeah, that does get into one small issue I have, is when you're in combat, it kind of feels like you can do all this really cool stuff with magic, but then when it's the enemy's time to attack... You really only have one thing you need to do, and that's like hold circle and a direction. I feel like a little bit, I feel like dodging attacks is too automated in the game. And it kind of makes it uninteresting at times when it, it just feels like, okay, well, this is the enemy's attack and they're going to attack for a while. Or they have an attack that like hits multiple times. But I don't really feel like I ever have to actively do anything to dodge it. It's just like, okay, well, this is their time to attack. I guess I just hold one button now for a moment. <laughs> I feel like there's a small tweak they could make where it's just like, you need to press circle button for every individual attack, and then you at least have to think about it. But no, if you do that, you'd use up all your stamina because each individual time you press circle, it uses one of your bars of stamina. And you get more as you go, but early on, you only have like three. So... Instead of something interesting where you dodge individual attacks and you actually have to keep, pay attention to what the enemies are doing, you just hold the button and she dodges them all. And as long as she is actively dodging or jumping over something or climbing, it doesn't use your stamina. Stamina management in this game is probably one of my biggest sticking points with the gameplay just because it is so counterintuitive, I guess. Like it, it runs counter to what it's trying to do because the more things that Frey is doing at any given time, the less stamina she uses. So like running straight on the ground will use your stamina up as you get it. I mean, like there's abilities that you get later in the game that, that change that and make it a little bit more interesting. But if you just hold circle and you're running on a flat plane, you will run out of stamina. But if you're holding circle and you're running on like rocky terrain where she is constantly jumping on a rock or something, then her stamina will never run out. That does bring me to... Uh, my biggest complaint is that while a lot of the magic and movement is cool and really good ideas that I'd like to see more games try, a lot of it just doesn't feel good to play. A lot of it's very janky. Like, there's a lot of times when you're moving around, like, specifically, like, when sprinting, that, like, whenever you hit something small 
on the ground not like run into but like walk over like you don't like naturally like step over it you just like you do a big jump kind of get thrown around it yeah it's and weird it just... and that kind of goes back to what i was saying with the uh stamina generation you get an ability later that's kind of supposed to make that more interesting and uh kind of here's one of the first comparisons i'm gonna make in final fantasy 15 when noctis ran out of stamina he got like he did like a little animation or the bar would flash or something and if you let go of the run button and pressed it again while that was happening he would get all of his stamina back Frey has the same kind of thing and it also gives her a speed boost but there are two big issues most of the time when you're running on the ground it's not flat there are like little rocks like jackson was pointing out that you do a jump over so it won't trigger as often and then the speed boost it gives you is like minimal there is, I think the most interesting movement that you get is something, I think you have to beat the first boss before you unlock it, but it lets you jump everywhere instead of running. And that's probably the most interesting, but it's also kind of the most active. So when you have to travel like a really long way, it gets kind of old yeah. and boring and repetitive. You have repetitive. to be pressing the jump like every two seconds for like several minutes straight. Yeah. Um. It also really comes in handy as you progress because you'll get abilities that let you climb over taller structures without having to, you know, find a way around. And you get an ability that lets you sort of freeze time and pick a point and then, like, throw a grappling hook to it almost, which opens up a lot of really interesting stuff. But again, all that just comes very late in the game. Actually, I think we should probably explain sort of the structure here in general, which is a little bit weird. So early on, you're set up that there are these major bosses that each have their own unique magic powers, and you're set out on a quest to defeat them. Uh, once you defeat one of these powerful wizard-type ladies, <laughs> you get their their set of powers. And if it were every couple of hours you get a new set of powers, that would be one thing. But depending on how much side content you do, it takes like four or five hours to get the first sec to get the second set of spells and that's just a very long time to go with one very fixed set of abilities that you can't really do too much with exactly like i like we said earlier like the most interesting stuff happens when you have multiple schools of magic that you can switch between but what you're kind of stuck with and the weird pacing makes it worse is you play for one hour like before you get any magic And then you'll play for like three or four hours after that and get the second school of magic. And then you'll play for like two hours after that and get the third school of magic. And then like 30 minutes later, you'll get the last one. Yeah, there's not a lot of consistency to how much you do between each major story beat. And that's another thing that I think is really frustrating about this game's story. All of the plot happens at the beginning and the end which I wouldn't care about if there weren't so many useless cutscenes in the middle. Like, basically after every major fight, you have to go back to the city and you're going to be there for a while talking to people and seeing what all's happened since you left. But it's never interesting or important. Like, I can only think of one thing I did in the city, which is the main hub world of the game, where I really felt like it was a good use of time. Like, anytime it would introduce a new character or set up a new plot thread, it would take an incredibly long time to do it. And even then, once you were through all that, those characters are very one-dimensional. 
Like there were none of them really felt like they were fully realized NPCs except for maybe one. But it just it felt like a lot of the story it felt like it needed to have a big grand epic sweeping story with really interesting characters and it gave itself the structure of that but it didn't really deliver on the actual narrative. I think the game and I don't know if you guys will agree with me. Um I think gaming in general has a lot of like or it's lost a lot of its respect for players' time because this game has a lot of time where you just can't move even though nothing is happening. Uh, yeah. That annoys me so much. Anytime you complete a quest in this game, uh, you're you're stuck in one spot. Like you're not in a cutscene or even a black screen or anything most of the time. It's just Frey standing still. You can move the camera still, but you can't move Frey. And then it pops up and it's like, you completed this quest for like five or six seconds. And then after that, it's like, here's the XP you got. And that takes another like five or six seconds. And then like over on the side, it's like this with your current mana, you could buy this much stuff. (laughs) And then there'll be like another 10 seconds after that, where it's just the screen, I guess, fading back to full color (laughs) before you can actually move. And it's like 30 seconds where you can do absolutely nothing for no reason. (laughs) Just to tell you information you already know. Yeah, it's especially bad in side quests too, especially ones that have a lot of talking to the NPC, because then it will be like, you have to go through that at every step of that side quest. So like, there's one early on, which might be one of the single worst side quests I've ever seen in a video game, where a character wants to give you a tour of the city. And it's something that I think you're actively playing for like maybe three minutes but the but the quest takes like 15 because there's a lot of useless conversations that have to happen and every single time you start and stop one of those conversations you have one of those periods where everything comes to a halt Frey just kind of stands around a minute or so goes by of just passing text across the screen and then you can start moving again like everything about it is just so it's so in the face of what the game is like this game is fast and frantic and over the top with these beautiful explosions of power and color but not when you're in what I will call the designated story area. Yeah, it everything comes to a halt anytime you're back in the city because they just want to dump a bunch of lore on you. Yeah. And it's never even good lore. Like for example, when you're getting that tour of the city, the character like takes you to the housing district and he's like this is where the houses are. And then he takes you to the farms. He's like, this is where the farms are. And like, he is giving you no notable information. Like nothing that happens in that quest actually like teaches you about the world or the characters. It is literally just listing off information you could have figured out just by walking through those areas. And then to make it worse, when you're in the city, you can't use any of your cool movement abilities. Yeah. You're just stuck to the normal walk and run, which is pretty slow because the city is huge. Yeah. Huge and empty, which, I might add. There are two important locations, maybe three, in the entire city. They are very far from each other. <laughs> and the only way to get in between them is by walking. Even though when you're out in the open world, you could cover like the the size of the city probably like 15 times over in the time it would take you to walk between them. 
Yeah. Nothing yeah. happens in the city. It's not like you're ever attacked by anything. Like the city is a complete safe zone. I I, I don't know. I just really hate when games do that. I feel like it's pretty common of getting rid of their primary gameplay when you're in a city for some reason. Yeah. And between between that and the fact that none of the characters are that interesting, I just I really dreaded any time you had to go back to the hub in this game just because I knew nothing was going to happen. And you can skip through certain dialogue, but it's still it's still egregious. I mean, I I don't think there was any point other than maybe the last two chapters where I was actually letting cutscenes play out. Like I would read the text myself in like a tenth of the time it would take them to get through it and then move on. <laughs> like It's because the only interesting, like truly interesting characters in the game are the Tantas, the bad guys that you're fighting. And you find yeah. out a lot of their backstory and stuff like that in the very back end of the game, like those last couple of chapters. It's like, it's fun, interesting stuff. And like, it ties into your character. It ties into what happened to the world. Like, it really, it brings everything together. And it's interesting. And I actually cared about what was going on in those cutscenes. But it is, once again, in the last maybe two hours of the game. And I think for me, I beat the game in about 17 hours, I think is was my playtime in the end. I didn't check the time. If I had to guess 15-ish. Maybe maybe more, maybe less. I didn't do like any side content after chapter four or five. Yeah, see, I did all the side content leading up to the first boss and then skipped most of it from that point on. <laughs> so, yeah, there were a couple <sighs> of times when I, I would run around doing stuff just to get more mana and level up my magic. Uh, which leveling up the magic is kind of interesting. Um, for every spell in the game... There's also a layer on top of it where you can upgrade the spell, which not only increases like that spell's effectiveness or, you know, takes away its stamina usage or it just increases its damage. Um, it'll also increase your magic level with whatever color or school of magic you're using. So if you have like a fire attack that you want to level up, when you level it up, not only will that spell become more effective, but all of your fire spells will become more effective as like a side effect. And the way that you level up a spell is by completing like a small, I guess, quest associated with it. It'll give you a task. It'll be like, if it's an attack with a burst area damage, it'll sometimes say something like uh, attack three enemies with the same attack. Or <laughs> I think one of them was even like attack 15 enemies with a single attack or something like that. They're more interesting than just attack blank enemies with one attack. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was really cool. And it was it was the only kind of progression, side progression, that I really paid attention to um, before the very end of the game. Because uh, at one point, it's in like the third school of magic. You unlock the ability to level up all of your, all of your clothing, your... Uh, you have a cloak and a necklace that you wear that can increase your stats. And in like the third school of magic, you unlock the ability to increase the magic gains you get from that gear. It's kind of weird. And you can increase it a lot. Yeah. Like you can effectively like triple the amount of damage you do with that school of magic. If you upgrade both a necklace and a cloak. Yeah. I went through and just leveled up all of my magic with my main cloak to be like, plus 50 or something like that. And yeah. I went from 
the game being kind of difficult to just annihilating everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you go from where just generic enemies would take like several sword slashes to kill to like one or two. <laughs> like it's it's hardcore how powerful you can make yourself in this game. Which I still think is pretty cool overall. I wish it was a more fluid progression or maybe it was worked into the game itself a little bit better. Because I think the crafting is sort of an afterthought yeah. that ended up being a little bit too important. Which I don't care about. Like, I don't have anything positive or negative to say about the crafting. It's fine. But, like, I think it, it played a little bit too big of a role. And they didn't do enough to, like, weave it into the story, I think. One small thing that comes up with it that I really need to complain about is that every time you go to, you go to bookshelves, like special bookshelves to increase your magic or to, to take on those extra quests that'll let you level up your spells. Um, and every time you go to one of those bookshelves, both your character and the cuff, or at least like one or the other will say something along the lines of like, Oh, you picking up something to read? And it's like, no, <laughs> No, I'm I'm here to level up spells. The only thing I can do here is level up spells. Why did why did they make that be that way? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird because I think in fiction you are reading to make the spells better, but in gameplay you're just using the spell to make the spell better. <laughs> I don't I don't really get. There is a bit of a disconnect with this game in general between like what the what you are doing in the story Versus what you were actually doing as the player. I think the way that they could fix it with this is just by having it be, you always have those quests, but you don't necessarily know what they are until you look at the book. But then yeah. when you're at the book, you can just level up the spells, you know, like any of them that you've done. Because the way it works now, like you can only take on three of those quests to level up a spell. I feel like until you get to the very end of the game... Frey just refuses to connect to the world in any meaningful way. She's like so obsessed with getting home. And I get that. I that's you know, if you got trapped in some kind of weird world where it's the world's basically already ending, <laughs> the best you can do is just make it a little bit easier. Like you'd want to get back home. Yeah. But it's yeah. kind of funny with how little she's actually connected to the world around her. I it's like chapter nine like we're getting close to the end of the game at this point and the chapters get shorter as they go I feel like that's something important I should point out here yeah so by the time you're at like chapter nine chapter it's like maybe a quarter of the length of chapter two what finally turns the game around is just everyone treating her worse <laughs> like Everyone finally recognizes, like, oh, she just actually is awful. We should treat her like that. And then, like, everything just falls into place after that. Which I just think is a very funny thing as, like, the inciting action. <laughs> like, so. Which I get it. Like, I get what they were going for is, like, she lived a hard life or she couldn't depend on anyone. But I think that they go pretty extreme with it. Like, I think it's. They take it to a comical level. Yeah. Where, like, yeah. she'll run into somebody whose parents are dead. And she's just like, it's good because I never knew my parents. So you, your parents being gone is only going to be good for you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. like every orphan. <laughs> she goes to an orphanage and she's like, actually, this is going to be good for you because I didn't have parents. It's like, it's like every time they let her make a choice, she makes the one that's like the most just edgy for no reason. 
And I just don't know. I just don't know if the way that they resolve that in the end was actually enough. Like, I don't know if the way they redeemed her was redemptive enough for it to be like the crux of the whole arc. <laughs> so. Yeah. Maybe I need to look into it some more. Because I, I just beat the game this morning. I couldn't tell you like what it actually was that made her decide to do the right thing in the end. Yeah. It's just... It's just because we're at the part of the story where she does the right thing. Because it needs to <laughs> yeah. happen sometime. Yeah. <laughs> all in all, I would say that Forspoken is still a game that I enjoyed. You know, certainly more so than all the the negatives frustrated me but it's just it's such a hard sell because for everything it does right it just it kind of flounders in some other categories and i think that there is definitely still a huge audience that will really really dig this game it's just that i think that there's going to be a much bigger one that's going to get so frustrated with so many different parts of the game that they're never really going to get to that point yeah i think that as we've said the parkour is pretty fun like getting around in the open world the magic and the combat is really cool looking at least it needs to be said that it doesn't get cool until a little too far into the game chapter four or five which i'm going to call roughly the halfway point um when you get that second school of magic like everything opens up just in huge ways like the parkour becomes more interesting because you get like a grappling hook. The The combat becomes more interesting because the second magic tree is more melee focused versus the first one is all about throwing rocks. All this to say, Forspoken, good combat, bad everything else. <laughs> so if you really if you really just want to go in and cast some cool spells and that's that's about it, as long as you can stomach a couple hours of some rough intro, then you're you're golden with this game. <laughs> but based on the reviews so far, most people cannot stomach that. <laughs> I recommend Forspoken to anyone that likes Final Fantasy 15. I wouldn't. <laughs> um, I wouldn't. For Final Fantasy 15 is a very. <laughs> it's much better. It has the same problem of the story is not great. But if you just only play Final Fantasy 15 up until the time jump, uh, and then, you know, before you actually do the time jump, just run around and do all of the open world stuff you want. Incredible game. If you just play Final Fantasy 15 as a road trip simulator. If you just play it that way, literally flawless. Well, I think that's enough for spoken talk because we got a whole nother conversation we need to have. A second conversation? Yeah, that's something we do now. <laughs> so we'll be right back after a quick break. So we're about two and a half, pushing three years. No, just two and a half. <laughs> we're about two and a half years in to the current console generation. And I think it's been a weird one with the pandemic affecting the release schedule on so many games and the consoles being hard to get a hold of. But realistically, we're pushing what would normally be the midpoint of this console generation. But it feels like the PS5 and the Xbox Series X just got here. And 
we wanted to take some time to talk about what the consoles have been like so far, what we like, what we dislike, what we hope for for future consoles, or really any any thoughts we have on them we wanted to get into here. And I think that Forspoken was a good transition because this was a game that was sort of a... It was sort of showing off what the new consoles could be back when it was first announced. For, for record here, all three of us have the PS5. Um, Jason has the Xbox Series X. Jackson and I have the Xbox Series S, so we'll we'll cover all three of the the big new ones in this conversation. So let's talk a little bit about the PS5 first, because that's what I think all three of us spend the most time with, really by far. I mean, I think that's starting to shift a little bit lately, but in the beginning, I was definitely way way more in the PS5 camp. So the hardware itself, I. I gotta say, when they first when they first showed this console, I was thinking like this might be the single ugliest video game console I've ever seen in my life. And I think the more time we've spent with it, more people have come around on it. I have not. Nah, it's grown on me. I still think this is a very ugly, overdesigned console. <laughs> it, it looks like a freaking router. <laughs> yeah, it does. You just like stuck some antennas on the back. It's definitely the weirdest looking console that's maybe ever come out. <laughs> and it's it's only weird for the sake of looking weird because like right. if you take those face plates off of the PlayStation, it's it's pretty much just a cylinder or not a cylinder, like a rectangle still. <laughs> yeah, it's not those curves are strictly for looks. Like they contribute nothing to the console. <laughs> Um, it's all about curb appeal. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're. And that's going why it's for. so big too, so yeah. you can see it from the curb. Yeah, I. That is one thing that's been really frustrating with this console is, you know, if I go out of town for several days, I will generally bring my PlayStation with me. And with the PS4, that was not nearly as much of a hassle as it is with the PS5. It was annoying with the PS4 because it had those weird angles. So if you wanted to put it in yeah. like a shoulder bag of some kind, it was going to poke into your ribs really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I still dealt with a lot easier than I've dealt with the PS5. So far, I've had to bring like a separate bag for the PS5 anytime I've carried it anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the biggest advantage that the PS5 has over the PS4, um, and I think the Series X and S is also kind of running on this, is the PS5, actually no, I know for a fact, like all of them, all the consoles of this generation, excluding the Switch, if you want to count that, are running on solid-state drives instead of spindle drives. And the biggest thing there is that all of the hardware is stored digitally instead of like actually physically on a disc, so it's much faster to access it. And the read-write times are so much significantly higher that it makes the, bi- the biggest thing being texture streaming. Like, with the PS4... When you're playing a lot of like the higher end games, you'd see a lot of like texture pop in. Um, the PS5, like that, shouldn't theoretically be a problem. That said, Sonic Frontiers had a lot of texture pop in, and I don't know why. I don't know what you could possibly be doing. Uh, every version of Sonic Frontiers was a uh, Windows Seven port. They uh, they just hired the team behind the uh, the Arkham Knight port. To make it for every console. But I, I do think that SSD has been a big game changer. Um, 
specifically for sure. if you want if for you sure. look at Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, the way that those portals work, being able to shift between like completely different worlds on the fly. And I know that stuff was really only tied to story, but it was still being rendered in real time from my understanding. So that's the kind of thing that just wasn't going to happen on previous consoles. And I think because of that, they're able to use more of like the GPU's power for stuff like ray tracing, which I think is the other big difference that we're seeing in games this generation. Everything has ray tracing now. Forspoken has ray tracing. It's all right. Forspoken is a pretty good looking game at least as far as like lighting and textures go. <laughs> it definitely had some work that it needed on character models that uh, I'm guessing just kind of got pushed to the wayside, but we're not talking about Forspoken anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that SSD is incredible. Like I've been replaying the last of us part two, which was released like five months before the PS five came out. And its load times are incredibly slow. Last of Us Part 1, the remake that just came out, which is on the same engine and has the same like graphical quality as Part 2, instantaneous load times. Sonic Frontiers had had loading screens, too. What were they doing? <laughs> <laughs> Literally all the problems with Sonic Frontiers don't make any sense when you think about like the fact that it's on an SSD. Why was there pop-in like that? That should have easily been handled. I mean, the fact that the pop-in is roughly the same on the PS5 and the Nintendo Switch is insane. Yeah. That also that also reminds me of how like God of War 2018, whenever you would die and have to reload, like it would it wouldn't take too long, but it would you'd be sitting there for uh, a little bit waiting to be able to reload. But like Ragnarok, like you die, go into the tip screen, and like within like a second, you could refresh. It's definitely been it's beautiful. It's felt like a big jump. I I don't feel like the jump yeah. between the PS3 and the PS4 was anywhere near the kind of jump that you see between the PS4 and the PS5. Um, that said, I really liked the PS3, so maybe other people would disagree. Um, one thing in particular I really liked about the PS3 was like the UI. I thought it was really interesting. I think like the PS3 UI was kind of the perfect mix between like an actual computer almost. Like it gave you the kind of fine control over your console that you would expect over like a PC, uh, but you didn't have to mess with any of that stuff. I really wish that there were options for the PS4 and PS5 to be more like the PS3's UI. That said, the PS5 UI still doesn't have themes. <laughs> and it's a little too similar to the PS4 UI, except much faster. Yeah, I think for me, I would put it pretty much on par with the PS4 with like one major pro and one major con. The con being there's no themes, which... I feel like we're we're far enough in that that definitely should have been rectified. <laughs> the PS4 but, didn't get themes for like two years either, though, right? Yeah, I I, rem I seem that, to remember it not right. having themes for a really long time, but this was also yeah. nearly a decade ago. So, I think the only thing that I would say was a definite improvement for the UI from four to five is the fact that 
all games and all other media are now pretty easily separated, which is nice. Like, there's a separate tab for games and everything else. Yeah. And I like the fact that you can just hit one one button to go to all your streaming apps, and they're not in line with all of your games and stuff like they were previously. So I think, like, that's a pretty good addition. The PS4 UI also got really slow towards the end of that yeah. generation. Yeah. It definitely became too complicated for the console to keep up with. Clearly, they were adapting it to the Pro, which none of us had. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, actually, Jackson had one. I, I had the Pro. Um, it wasn't that different from the PS4. Was it faster? Uh, regularly, though. Not not too much. Um, the biggest difference was just some games had 4K and some had 60 FPS, but there was never both. Yeah. 60 well, FPS, I, I mean, think, has been a really big thing for this generation. I still... I mean, I, I've been saying this for like a year now. I think it's going to go away soon. I mean, we're starting to yeah. see games that come out without a 60 FPS mode. Whereas, like, I feel like a lot of the games, especially PS5 games, uh, closer to release, were all about 60 FPS. Clearly that was a focus, and it no longer is, and I can't help but wonder, like, is it just inevitable? Are games just getting bigger and more complicated where there's just no way for it to keep up? Or is it just a matter of it doesn't actually affect sales, and it's harder to make a game run that well, so why bother? <laughs> I think a big part of it is just that making a game run at 60 FPS is harder. There are a lot of sure. like older For engines sure. which are really tied to their frame rate. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried playing like Fallout 3 or Fallout New Vegas on a... I think they can handle 30 and 60 fine, but if you try to take it higher than 60, like the physics starts going crazy. Stuff flies all over the place. Getting a game to run at 60 FPS requires actually <laughs> making the game run really well. I mean, the reason a lot of games have run at 30 FPS in the past is just because they're not optimized well. Um, yeah. And I think the reason like there's been so many 60 FPS games at the beginning of these console generations is a lot of them are first party games. Like, right. they're made by people who... I mean, they weren't, like, actually involved with creating the PlayStation 5 or anything, but they've had access to it for a while. Like, they're aware of its requirements and, like, what it takes to run it. I mean, companies like Naughty Dog and Insomniac are somewhat famous for, you know, pumping out maximum performance out of the PS2 and the PS3. <laughs> I mean, you've heard those stories about Naughty Dog getting uh, Crash Bandicoot running on the PS1. Or I think there was something similar with uh, Jack and Daxter on the PS2. Where they had to go outside of what games can normally access to get it to run properly. And I think you only see that kind of stuff from like first or I guess we could call them like second party developers. You know, those those developers that are really close to S Sony but aren't necessarily owned by them or anything like that. I mean, like, the craziest one I can think of is uh, Bethesda getting Morrowind running on the original Xbox. Um, anytime you're in a loading screen in Morrowind, um, the game completely restarts itself. And, like, that's not something that a normal developer can do or necessarily get running. Like, it requires a pretty 
decent understanding of the hardware. You don't hear you don't hear about stuff like that happening quite as often anymore. But I guess we also didn't hear about stuff like that happening when it was happening. <laughs> right, right. You, you learn about it twenty weird. years later. Yeah, picked up from interviews here and there. Or we're, we're gonna learn something wild about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart in like a decade. Yeah. <laughs> it's opening a literal rift to another universe where there's a better console to run. <laughs> um, now, I think that for me, as weird as this sounds, the biggest deciding factor between these two consoles, like if there was, like for example, if there was a game that was releasing on both PS5 and the Xbox, and, like, it was the same price, same availability, there wasn't a concern about who I was playing it with. If all that was aside, the deciding factor for why I would always go PS5 is the controller. Because I think that, one, other than the PS3, I think the PlayStation's always had the best controller. And I think the DualSense kind of knocks it out of the park on every front. Like, I think it just feels good to use. It's got a good weight to it. All the buttons are snappy, and, like, they are they are exactly how they should be. There's no weird vibration stuff like there is with the Xbox. Like, I feel like the PS5 controller is, like, perfect. I've never been a big fan of the Xbox One slash series controller because they're basically the same. There's a few minor differences, but for the most part, they're the same. It's probably about, like, the same dimensions as the PS5 controller. Probably about the same height and width, but it still just feels bigger. And I just, I don't like the way the buttons on it feel very much. They're very, they're very clicky, and they're not very smooth. <laughs> um, And I just, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> But also, like, the DualSense has the haptic, the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers, which are really cool. It also has the built-in speaker, which has been incredibly convenient. That's not something yeah. that I thought would be useful at all, but we use it literally every single night. Like, it's it's so nice. Or you mean, like, the built-in microphone? Well, yeah. Because I don't really care for the speaker. I think the speaker's more annoying than anything most of the time. I feel like it's a little overused in games, like in Forspoken. Going back to this for a second. Um, whenever Cuff is talking to Frey in that game, for some reason it comes out of the controller, even though it's coming out of the television already. Um, it doesn't sound as good coming out of the controller. It it sounds kind of weird, like a bad phone call. I, I don't know why they did that. PlayStation's just had more like stuff you can do with the controller in general compared to xbox like i don't know if xbox's controller has a gyroscope but the ps even the ps4 controller did one of my favorite examples uh in infamous second son they were the the spray paint things where like you turned the controller sideways and like you'd have to like shake it like you were shaking the can and you had to like move it around the paint and hold the trigger for it and like that was just that was cool like that's not something you see on xbox controller like i haven't seen a single xbox game do anything like that i think that playstation does a much better uh, much better job of kind of the gaming experience being more like holistic like you do need to move around instead of like the xbox you do everything with button presses and like that's not necessarily a bad thing um i think playstation just kind of likes theater a bit more 
I think what's really cool about the PlayStation controller isn't anything that it adds to the experience as much as it makes the experience more seamless. Like it doesn't do anything to affect the experience at all. Whereas like the Xbox controller, for example, I mean, it's a little better with the newer controllers than it was in the last gen, but the over the top vibrations are so frustrating. Like it's aggressive. On most games, I just have the vibrations for Xbox controllers turned off. Yeah, which I would never do that with a PlayStation game. Like, I would not even consider that with a PlayStation game. But Xbox controllers are just... Like, they feel cheap. And I've never felt that with first-party PlayStation controllers. They feel cheap, and they're only like 10 bucks less than the DualSense. I like the PS... I, I like the, the Xbox controllers these days. I think they feel really nice. I mean, I think that the big thing that... Oh, I accidentally turned on my Xbox. I picked up my Xbox controller that I have sitting next to my computer. Um, just to, like, get a good feel for it. I I like the Xbox controller quite a bit, but I do think that the PlayStation 5 controller has a lot of really cool features. And I think that those features are, like, console selling. I mean, the adaptive triggers, they're not used very well in every game, but when they are used well... It's really cool and pretty fun. Um, yeah. It's really satisfying to have, you know, like you can pull the trigger down part way <laughs> and then there's that extra click before it actually actuates all the way and you actually fire the gun on screen or something like that. And the Xbox just doesn't have that. That said, I like the Xbox controller. I think it has a better weight to it. I don't. I don't. I definitely don't agree with your saying that you've never felt like uh, a first-party PlayStation controller felt cheap, because the PS3 controller felt cheap. No, I explicitly said excluding the PS3 controller. Oh, okay. Uh, I feel like the PS4 controllers. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the DualShock Four. It's just it's it's very light. Light and cheap are pretty similar to me. <laughs> Yeah, And I, I do really like the PS5 controller because I think it takes a lot of what works with the Xbox controllers. Because, like, the Xbox controller, it's it feels better in the hand. Like, the stick placement, I think, is the big thing. I think that's a good, a good transition over to the Xbox, but I do want to sort of call out one specific thing. And this is probably judging it more in comparison to the Xbox than xbox as its own standalone thing but uh this year or last year playstation rolled out the new playstation plus experience which was sort of meant to be a rival to game pass and uh it's not (laughs) uh it had some cool games that were accessible that otherwise wouldn't be like some old ps3 games and stuff but even then you're just streaming them and my experience with that has not been the best basically if I am trying to stream something in the middle of the day, it's not even going to work because my internet just like, I have good internet for the area we live in and I still couldn't stream stuff without there being like little hitches here and there where things just weren't loading properly. And that just isn't the same as Xbox game pass, which can let you play actual original Xbox games downloaded straight onto the console, playing them like as an Xbox game, not as a streamed thing. (laughs) So but even then, the Xbox still has a stream option, so it even beats it in that regard. Yeah, this so. is going to be a bit of a spoiler for this next part of the conversation. In my opinion, the PlayStation 5 has the better controller uh, and the better first-party exclusives. 
Um, the Xbox has the better absolutely everything else. Um, so let, let's start with the hardware, which is a lot more basic than the place than the PS5. Uh, the SSD is still the big expansion here, um, but it does not look as weird as the PS5 does. I appreciate the fact that my Xbox Series S is just a small little box. <laughs> Something I do like about the Xbox Series X is that it's the first console designed to sit vertically. Yeah. That like actually do, looks right vertically. I mean like I think technically you're supposed to have the PS2 vertically, but it looked really weird. <laughs> the the Xbox Series X is strong and sturdy. And it has these cool lights that come out of the top. I wish they were a little bit brighter. Like where the fan exhaust is on the very top of the Xbox Series X. Yeah. I kind of wish that the green lights in there were a little bit brighter. Because you can barely see it. Actually, I don't even know if there are green lights. It might just be like the light hitting it sometimes in my house. It's definitely painted green in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Yeah, there, there's no lights. It is just painted green. It's a good looking console, in my opinion. I, I, I like the Xbox Series X a lot, uh, like aesthetically. <laughs> it fits into my um, my entertainment center a lot better than PlayStation as well. There's literally only one spot in my entire entertainment center where I could put the PlayStation, whereas like the Xbox could go anywhere if I wanted it to. <laughs> and it's not; it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb like the PlayStation does. Yeah, also kind of uh, worth mentioning in this is... Uh, I don't have anywhere at my entertainment center with enough space to display my PlayStation vertically. <laughs> now, the UI is a weird thing to talk about with Xbox because, like, I think they kind of got it right back on the Xbox 360, Xbox 360 era, and they have been trying their hardest to mess it up ever since. Yeah, I guess I did say I liked everything about the PS5 better than the Series X, except for the controller. I, I might have to add the UI. I think the Xbox UI is needlessly confusing. It's so convoluted. There's so much on screen. You get to it in weird ways. None of the stuff that should be readily available is. like All the stuff you would want to do a lot, you have to access other menus to get to, and like... I just, I don't know why it's designed the way it is at all. Like, I feel like they need to just start from scratch. <laughs> because, again, I think they had it not perfect, but, like, they were at least moving in the right direction with the 360. And then with, like, by the end of the 360 console generation, they had made it really weird. And then they started over with this new tiles thing with the Xbox One. And it's just gotten progressively more convoluted since then. I, I liked, I didn't mind the tiles on the 360. I'm not saying that's even... Def that's not even the best 360 UI. But I, I feel like yeah. a lot of the things that made the PS5 UI better than the PS4 UI were things that were taken from older Xbox UIs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really liked how that. the old Xbox UI had like separate pages for everything. Like there was a page that yeah. was your games and like stuff that you do a lot. And that's, you know, the first page that you start on. And then there's a page that's just like all of all games <laughs> there's there's like the recent page to start with and then there's like a game page where it's all the games that you own in like the different ways as well as like buying new games and stuff like that and then there was a media tab where it was like this is where netflix and hulu are as well as well i don't think there was a hulu app on the xbox at that point but <sighs> that's really beside the point i'm uh, sorry <laughs> 
yeah. like there was the media tab where it was like you can buy movies you can watch netflix and then there was tabs for stuff like friends and stuff like that the show friends a whole tab just for it and now i feel like all mm. of that's kind of they've tried to consolidate that into one menu and it's just kind of confusing to look at and you don't necessarily know if what you want is going to be on any particular screen. Like basically the only way I launch games on my Xbox is by going into the separate page in like the settings or whatever, or like I go into that, my games and apps drawer anytime I want to launch a game, because at least I know the game is going to be there. You would think that just like every time you turn it on, the same stuff would be in the same spot, but you can't even count on that all the time. No, everything moves every time you restart it. That said, the Xbox Series X has the best feature that's ever been on a game console. Uh, I think the Series S has it as well. The quick resume. Incredible. The fact that you can just turn off a game or like turn off the console and then pick up exactly where you were at any time. And like, I know it's kind of broken for online games, but I never have to sit through like a start screen (laughs) or anything for any game that I don't want to. Like if I want to play Morrowind on my Xbox, then I, I turn the Xbox on, I go to quick resume, I click on Morrowind, bam, I'm in Morrowind. Like, no loading screen, literally nothing. It's as if I never turned the game off, and that's incredible. I wish PlayStation could have something like that. And the fact that um, it can be several games. Like, at one point, I had, like, 10 or 11 games open in Quick Resume. And any of those games, except for Forza Horizon 5, I could just click on and immediately be into the action. And Forza Horizon 5 was also on that list because I forgot. That was the 11th game. That was one of those games that I always had issues with. That and Halo Infinite. But those, I think, are the only two games that I've had like serious issues with Quick Resume with. Hitman's a little weird about it, but you can fix it from the settings. You can just be like, it, it's just reconnect or something like that. Just honestly my favorite feature on the Xbox, and I hope that like all the Xbox consoles moving forward have something like that. And I really hope that the PlayStation picks up something similar. Yeah, which I don't know if it's even like possible to integrate that into a console afterwards, like now, but boy, I would love to see it. I assume it's all software based. It's just kind of like taking a picture of a f- the frame. <laughs> I think if you have a lot of them open, it causes issues. But I think that the Series S only, you can only do like five or six, and the Series X, you can do like 10 to 15 or something like that, max. But yeah. even just the more you have open, the kind of the more likely you're to run into an issue. And then on top of that, Xbox has Xbox Live and Game Pass, and the fact that I can yeah. just remote into any individual Xbox game that I want with cloud gaming, or from my computer, from my Steam Deck, like I can just remote into my own Xbox. And play a game as if I was on my TV. PlayStation has that as well to a lesser extent. But I definitely don't think that the the PlayStation cloud gaming is as good as the Xbox. No, definitely not. I haven't used a ton of either one. But I've definitely had more positive experiences with Xbox. Which, 
I think for me, especially these last couple of months, and looking ahead at this year's schedule, I think that the Xbox is going to sort of live and die by Game Pass because, I mean, there were like three games I've been playing lately that I would have never played if they weren't on Game Pass, and like four or five of the games we're planning to do episodes on later this year are all going to be day one launches on Game Pass. So like, this could be the first year where I think that my time split between the consoles will be a lot more even. Because, I mean, there's just so many big games coming to Xbox that are going to be available on Game Pass and available to do things like remote play and cloud streaming and all that stuff, which is just going to be a huge, huge benefit over these next several months. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about as well, is one, how many games are coming to Game Pass? But two, with my Steam Deck being able to remote into it, what I've been doing recently a lot of the time is like Abby and I will be watching something on the PlayStation. And if it's something that, you know, I necessarily, I don't necessarily need to give like a hundred percent focus to that we're watching or, you know, if there's, I want to do something else, but I don't want to have to steal the TV. Being able to play my Xbox on their steam deck has been incredible. And I, I think I play Maybe for the first time ever, I've been playing about as much on my Xbox as I have on my PlayStation. To the point where, like, I'm considering picking up more uh, cross-platform games on my Xbox moving forward. Well, I didn't really want this this whole section just to be trying to say, like, one is better than the other or vice versa. I just wanted to, you know, sort of talk about what our experiences have been so far and... I think that we've we've pretty well gotten that out of the way. <laughs> so I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else you've been into? Well, I think I can't remember if last week I spoke about The Last of Us show. You did. Or okay. I couldn't remember if it was that or the the remake of the game. But since since the show Got me back into the Last of Us universe. I decided to finally replay, or not replay, but play the the remake of the first game that came out last year that totally did not come out because they were making a show. And it's pretty good. I mean, for the most part, you know, it is the same. Um, it's 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 a remake. Um, uh, but it it looks very good. It feels a lot better to play. It's not as sort of janky as the original was. Which, for a lot of people, I feel made it kind of hard to play. I know it did for you guys. Yeah, that was definitely the big thing drawing me away from it. I hated the um, gameplay in the original Last of Us. Uh, but it, it feels a lot better to play. It feels basically like Last of Us Part 2, which was a 2020 game and not a 2012 game. <laughs> But after I beat that, started playing Last of Us Part 2, which I haven't played since it came out, which was 2020. Um, it holds up pretty well. It's very good. I recognize a lot more of its faults now. Like the second half of the game barely has anything to do with the first half of the game. But it's not that bad. It's still fun. It's still a very entertaining story. I I've heard it called the greatest story ever told in gaming. Do you have any comment? um i wouldn't say that about the last of us part two i would say that about part one. Oh, sorry 
I wasn't. You're right. I was just thinking The Last of Us in general. <laughs> yeah. So, Jason, what have you been doing? I have been watching the hit show Breaking Bad. And, fellas... I've never heard of it. I don't know why I put it off so long. <laughs> Very good show. I've never been a great one at, like, reviewing these kinds of things. But Breaking Bad, I 100% see, like, why it was a phenomenon for so long. I mean, it's only like five seasons, but I remember people talking about it and like making a huge deal out of, you know, when every episode was going to drop for at least three of those seasons. And people have been telling me to watch Breaking Bad since, since it started airing, honestly. I think if I were to like somehow poll everyone I know about their favorite show, I'm almost positive Breaking Bad would be the most common answer, like by a big, big margin. Because everyone that I know that has seen it has like absolutely loved it. Well, everyone that has seen more than the first season has absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can kind of see the first season being a bit slower, but I, it really hooked me in. I think that it's a really interesting story. I think watching, you know, Walter White turn into a villain is really cool. I wish there were more stories where, I mean, the whole thing with Breaking Bad is that Walter White becomes the villain. Like, obviously, in the beginning, and, you know, even at the point I'm at now, or in, like, season three, like, he's still a hero. But everything that I've ever heard about it, it just sounds... <laughs> Like, I've heard his whole speech about being the one who knocks, and I'm like, oh, that's a very villainous thing to say. <laughs> and even just, like, in the first three seasons, it's been really cool watching this character go from doing what he has to do to protect himself and his family to just kind of realizing he does what he does because he enjoys it on some level. <laughs> it's a really good, I guess, slow burn kind of thing, and I've, I've absolutely loved it. It, it probably is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Um, I'm also really excited to watch uh, Better Call Saul afterwards because uh, every time Saul Goodman is on the show, it's a highlight. Well, that's about it for me, unless anyone else had anything to say about Breaking Bad. But uh, I'll hand it over to you, Jordan. What have you been up to this week? Well, I, I sort of alluded to it in the intro, but uh, I picked up a little game called Hi-Fi Rush, which if you're keen on any video game news or any socials or anything, you've definitely heard about this game. It was surprise released uh, to Xbox Game Pass about, about two weeks ago now and is a game that had not even been officially announced. Um, it's from the developers of the Evil Within games, which... This is basically the opposite of that as a game. This is a sort of a Saturday morning cartoon inspired hack and slash brawler where you play as a man named Chai who has been given an accidental cybernetic uh, upgrade where an MP3 player is built into his body. And that manifests as... He is given incredible fighting powers, but only if he is in sync to the music that the MP3 player is playing. It is an absolutely insane premise, but it's something that I really love in a game when the gameplay is set to music and you have to be on the beat and stuff. And I've talked about it before with games like 
uh, Metal Hellsinger that I think did it incredibly well, but I also felt like the game just wasn't quite meaty enough, you know, to really stand out on its own. Well, this game fixes that because this game is incredibly mechanically complex. It's a, a pretty interesting story that goes a lot of different directions. There are so many cool things you can learn to do. And it's all woven into just a game that just feels good to play. Even if it wasn't set to music, this would still be just a really great platformer with really cool combat mechanics and some really good ideas about how you progress in levels and how you upgrade characters and all that jazz. And I just think it it knocks it out of the park in pretty much every way. I mean, everyone that's played this game basically has been smitten by it, so it, it shouldn't come as any surprise. But I just, I really, really loved it. It only took about six or seven hours to beat, but there is still way more I could dig into when I feel inclined to do so because there's lots of hidden stuff. There are, you get some new powers as you progress that let you go back and find items in previous levels and there are harder difficulties and still some unlockables and some achievements and stuff. So there's a lot here, even if the story itself isn't super, super long, but if you really love, you know, those old school platformers or you really love rhythm games, I think this is one you should absolutely check out. I've I've really loved my time with it. Oh, and that PC Gamer article saying that more people should stealth drop games? Completely ignore that. Terrible idea. This only worked because it was, you know, Microsoft. And they dropped it at a Microsoft event where they knew a bunch of people were watching already. <laughs> yeah, this was... For this to work more regularly would require a change to how people engage with games, not just, like... The change would need to be a lot bigger than more people just deciding to pick up games that they haven't heard of. And this only worked because there were a lot of other factors beforehand, so... Plus the addition to Game Pass. You know, any game not on Game Pass would never survive if they tried anything like this. So... Yeah, I've also heard, like... Before they even released it, inside of Microsoft Studios, it was apparently, there was like a dev build of the game that people like all over were going wild for. I think that if that were not the case, then it might have been dropped with maybe a little bit more uh, lead time. I could definitely see there being a lot of internal input that had already sort of driven this game's release a little bit. So yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. You can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. And any of those, we would love to hear your suggestions for what we talk about, what we stream, anything you want to tell us about the show, we would love to hear it, and we're happy to engage however we can. And speaking of streaming... We are trying to get in the habit of streaming every single weekend on twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. We are in the midst of the year of the Kong. <laughs> we uh, we finished up Donkey Kong Country 1. We are on Donkey Kong Country 2. We'll keep plugging on through that all the way up until Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. So we still got a lot of Donkey Kong ahead. Also, P PSA for anybody with a PlayStation 5. PlayStation Plus collection, the collection of free games that they added around the same time the PS5 came out, is going away. So make sure to claim those before before they're gone forever. A lot of good ones to grab. Bloodborne, Uncharted 4. Persona 5. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. But 
for the Totally Biased Media Podcast. I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>